I hold in my hand a stethoscope um, today. Uh, when I finished uh, my journey academically, uh, and they told me that I had earned that title of doctor, people in the church said, what are we going to call you now? Are we going to call you a pastor or a reverend or a doctor or a goofball, or what are we going to call you? I said, I don't care what you call me as long as you call me for dinner, okay? So that's, that's yeah. Uh, and as a joke, when I finished seminary, one of my wonderful friends that's here today um, handed me a stethoscope and said, Dr. Wooten, here you go. This is my graduation uh, gift from them and very honored. And today, if you go to the doctor and they pull out a stethoscope, we've had doctors here worshiping with us today, they pull out a stethoscope, they are looking for your what? You're looking for your pulse. How many know if the doctor can't find a pulse with a stethoscope, you are in trouble? Are we clear on this? Okay. I've, I've been with some people that were very, very sick, and it was hard to find a pulse. And, and thank God they found it because life without pulse is gone. And today we're going to continue our journey, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to put a spiritual stethoscope not upon your physical heart that's beating right now, but upon your spiritual soul and how healthy is your faith. If Jesus were to come today and, and he were to listen to the heartbeat of your soul, is it in rhythm? Is there any trouble? Is there any blockage? What would he say today? I want to tell you a story about George. Now, first of all, i got to say happy birthday to George Sumter. Today's his birthday. He's been a member of our church for more than 60 years. Can we say happy birthday to Brother George? We love this guy. But I want to talk about another George. George Sumter is a man of faith. But I want to just talk a little bit as we continue our series, Faith in Action, uh, talk to you about a guy that is one of my heroes in my faith journey. His name was George. He was born in Germany and, and was raised uh, by some, some great parents, but he was a rascal. And so he would leave as an adolescent and go through town, and he would steal things. He'd go through a shop, and he would just grab whatever he wanted and run. The police knew him by name, and police would bring him home, and Dad was not happy, and, and it was just not a good situation. He was a troubled young man. And one day, when he was a little bit older as a teenager, someone invited him to a small group, a Bible study. And they said, hey, George, we want you to come along. Well, he had seen a lot of Christians that had said a lot about God, talked a lot about God, but then lived a different life when they weren't around their godly friends. Hello? You've never seen anybody like that, have you? You've never been anybody like that, have you? Unfortunately, we all have. And he had seen a lot of hypocrites, and suddenly he was in this crowd, and they invited him to a Bible study, and his faith began to just be birthed and grow. Long story, but he found Jesus. These people continued to encourage him. He gave up his, his kleptomaniac ways, and, and he began to trust in God. And one day he came home and said, Dad, I'm called into ministry. His dad wanted to have nothing to do with that. He wanted his son to have a good job, and he knew his past, and, and that would not be the way to go. And there was no money to train for, for Bible college. But George, having found God and believing he was called to step out in faith and go train for ministry, he stepped out. There was no way to pay for it. So he, he signed up, he's gotten to a dorm, and now the bill was due and he was going to have to go home. The bill came and he thought, you know what, back in that Bible study they've taught me about faith, they taught me about trusting in the Lord, so I'm just going to get down on my knees and I'm going to say, Lord, I believe you've called me to be your servant. I believe you've called me to this ministry. I believe you've called me to this college. And therefore, Lord, I'm asking you, would you provide for this bill? And he got up and nothing happened for a few minutes. 
And then there was a knock at the door. Knock, knock, knock. And he opened the dorm, and a professor, just moments after his prayer, came by and said, Hey, George, I wanted to let you know that we are got you all registered, and there's a job here on campus that will take care of your tuition if you'll be willing to work really hard and study too. Can you imagine the shout of praise that came out of that dorm right now? Have you ever had a miracle where God just showed up like that? You just want to just shout praise the Lord. Hey, this morning, man, people have been giving me testimonies. Uh, Someone came in, cancer-free diagnosis. Someone say praise the Lord. Supernatural miracle. Pastor Ike shared one with me. Jim shared one with me. Uh, Some other people have shared one with me that I just wanted to shout praise the Lord because God is so amazing. So it was at that little college dorm that this George learned to ask God and to step out in faith. There was no provision until he stepped stepped out in faith, and then there it was. Well, he finished Bible college, and he was sent to a church to pastor outside of London, England. And when he got to this church, and he was so happy and finished Bible college, and he was a brand-new pastor. He wanted to win all of England for Jesus. And, and he got there, and the way they worked their finances in this small, small church is they rented pews. Here's what happened. If you wanted the first pew, then you had to pay $100 a month, and whatever the amount was. And if you wanted the second pew, then you rented it for the whole month. So no one else could sit on the second row, but you got to pay $75 a month. The third row was 50 The fourth row was 25 The back row was $5. Now, if I was raising money today, I would say the back row is $1,000 and the front row is 5 Man, we'd make some money. What the deal is, but I understand. And so he, he was reading through the book of James. And as we go through our journey, faith in action, if you're a guest, what we're doing is we're just looking at the book of James. James grew up with Jesus. He was a brother of Jesus. And he didn't believe in Jesus as Savior until the resurrection and then became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And he writes the first handbook on Christianity. Not just to say you're a Christian, but what to do if you're really a Christian. And we have the book of James. It's the earliest book we have in the New Testament, the earliest written book in the New Testament. And so Pastor George was actually was actually reading through the book of James and says, there's not supposed to be any partiality in the church, just like we preached last week. And he says, so we're not going to rent pews. If someone that doesn't have any money wants to sit on the front row, they can come and sit on the front row. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal until you've been at a church that has rented pews for many, many years. And then it's a big stinking deal, right? And so chaos ensued in the church, but he just continued to preach. People got so upset, they said, if you don't let us rent that front row, there won't be any money to pay you, preacher. And he said, that's all right. You don't pay my salary anyway. God does. In fact, he said, you know what? In fact, I think I'll just not take a salary for this year, and I'll just pastor this church. Well, God began to bless the church, and people came to know Jesus Christ, and people that were lost and down and out came on the front row, but then they came down to the altar and gave their heart to Jesus. Someone say, praise the Lord. God began to stir as George continued on this journey of faith that started in a college dorm room, and he began to see in London all the orphans that were so hurt and so down and out, no place to live. And he had no money to start an orphanage. He didn't have a building. So he's talked to his wife and said, we're supposed to do this. So what did he do? He stepped out in faith and he just did it. And he got a couple orphans that didn't have any place to go, were on the streets, and he took them in. And two turned into four, and four turned into 10, and 10 turned into 20. And his wife said, what are we going to do? We can't pay the bills. We can't feed all these mouths. He said, God spoke to me, and I'm not supposed to ask anybody for help. I'm just supposed to step out in faith. How many know that's a lot of faith? 
When you're feeding 20 orphans' mouths and 20 turned into 40 and 40 turned into 60, 60 turned into 300 orphans. And George says, I'll not ask anyone for help. Now, you know, for orphans, it's actually pretty easy to raise money. If you just say there are needy children going to camp, some of you responded, thank you so much for your kindness. Uh, We had a supernatural gift to help people get to camp. Every kid that wants to go to camp, their way is paid for here at Spirit Church. Can you say praise the Lord? Because the heart of some amazing, generous people, we're so thankful. And so you could raise it. He said, I'm not supposed to do it. I'm not supposed to ask anybody but God for help. A well-documented story, and there's many of them, but one well-documented story. He came down one day, and there's 300 children and there's nothing to eat. The people come and say, there's nothing in the cupboard. We exhausted it all yesterday. There's not a crumb to feed these children. They said, what are we going to do, George, man of faith? He said, we're going to do what we always do. Get the children around the table, and we're going to give thanks for the food that the Lord is going to provide. I mean, you know that's faith when there's nothing in the cupboard. You got all the children there on the tables, and he said, now, children, we're going to say grace. And he led them in a prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we praise you for taking care of our needs, and amen, and nothing happened for a few moments. And then would you believe there was a knock at the door? And one of the friends of George just came in bustling and said, George, I don't know what the deal was. I couldn't sleep all night long. God woke me up about 2 in the morning and said, you got to make all this bread and pastries for your children. So here they are. I've been baking all night. And he just brings in baskets of bread. Can someone say praise the Lord? There weren't no phones. There weren't no emails or text messages. How do we know God's better than all that anyway? So they got something to eat, but there's nothing to drink. How do we know if you got a good biscuit, you need something to wash it down with? And so they waited a little bit longer. Would you believe just a few moments later, another knock at the door, and it's a milkman. And the milkman said, hey, excuse me, but my truck just broke down right in front of your building here. I've had to call for help. They're going to come and replace my truck, but the milk is going to spoil. Is there any way I could bring in all the milk for my truck and you could use it? Somebody ought to say praise the Lord. The children in faith, they praised the Lord for breakfast, and then it came. Do you have that kind of faith? Here's what George did. He, he ended up ministering to thousands and thousands of orphans, never asking anybody for a dime, just believing that God was going to take care of it. At age 70, he felt like he was supposed to retire from the orphanage, so he turned it over to somebody else. You know what he did? He said, finally, at age 70, I get to be a missionary. And at age 70, with never asking one dime from anybody or any church, he began to embark on an 18-year journey where he went to 40, over 40 countries, preaching to thousands of people, and God took care of all the bills. Never went in debt, never asked anybody for anything, and God provided. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, George, his last name was Mueller. Yeah, give the Lord praise. George Mueller was his last name, had some healthy faith. And I'm asking you, if the Lord put the stethoscope of his spirit on your soul, how healthy is your faith? If you want healthy faith today, why don't you stand all over this place, and we're going to go right to the Word of God. James chapter 2 is where we're, where we're at. James chapter 3 will be next week. You've got to be here for that. In James chapter 2, verse 17, this is really the theme of the entire book is this verse. Let's say it together. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Can we say that again? So also, faith by itself, 
If it does not have works, it's dead. God's going to use this to get in your soul, some of you, uh, to wake you up. So let's say it one more time. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If you want to memorize it like this, it's okay. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is, Lord, we don't want to be dead. We want to be alive in you, full of power and strength, the majesty of God Almighty. Lord, it's easy for our alive, full of life faith to become stagnant and then to become sick and then to become depressed and then to finally die. Lord, I pray today that you would help us not have dead or sick faith, but have healthy faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think God can even help your faith. That's kind of fun, isn't it? You may be seated. Faith without works is dead. Say it with me. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, if you've read through the New Testament, you know that some people get all up in arms because of what Paul said. I don't get all up in arms. What did Paul say? He says in Romans, he says in Ephesians, that, that we are saved by, through, through, by grace through faith. I'll get that out in a minute. My speech therapist needs to show up today and help me. That we are saved by grace through faith, right? Not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then James comes along, actually wrote this before Paul wrote his epistle, and said, faith without works is dead. So is that just opposed against each other or what? Actually, when you have faith, when God takes your dead soul and breathes life and regenerates you and saves you and sets you on a journey from God, it is just a concomitant that faith with works will happen because God transforms your behavior. And whatever you were doing in your old dead life will be different from what you're doing in your brand new heavenly life. Amen? And so when you have faith, it's not, and and understand too that Paul's given us kind of the other side of the coin, if you will, that Paul is talking to a bunch of Jews that have lived their life going through the law of Moses, thinking that's going to get them saved. And there's, you can't jump through enough hoops to get close enough to God. That's why Jesus came down, and it's by Jesus' works that we are saved and that God regenerates us. But once we're saved, how many know action is going to come out of our faith? So we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, but you, if you have faith, you will have works. Does that make sense? In fact, through the Bible, uh, you'll find this all the time, that people take one side of an issue or another. So a lot of people like to just pounce on grace, and other people just want to pounce on truth and law. Well, John's gospel says Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. So how do you get to the balance? You follow Jesus. And he gives us an example of how to balance grace and truth. I don't condemn you, grace, sin no more, that's truth, right? John's gospel is full of the balance. What does the Bible say? It says, go to all the world and come out of the world. How do we balance that? Well, that's discipleship and that's evangelism. We're discipled when we get out of the world and get all the junk off of us, and we evangelize when we go to the world. Does that make sense? If we get on one post or another, we'll be unhealthy, we'll be imbalanced. And here we've got to see that faith without works is what? Faith without works. If you're just saying to everybody you're a Christian at work, if you're just wearing the Christian T-shirt and things in your life haven't changed, if you're just putting the, the Spirit Church sticker on your car and still driving like the devil, and I've seen a couple of you, then faith without works is dead, right? Faith without works is dead. If you're not going to have any action in your faith, then you might as well get the toe tag out. 
You might as well call the coroner. You might as well call the funeral home director for your faith because James says here, faith without works is dead. Now let me just go through the text that he gives us and show you how we get from a live faith to dead faith. Okay, there's really four steps. And the first one is this. If your faith is all talk, then your faith is dysfunctional. If your faith is all talk, it is dysfunctional. Will you say that with me? If your faith is all talk... It is dysfunctional. Now, you should be talking about Jesus. You should be talking about God. I hope you're talking about what God did for you. Man, God found me. I was a mess. He rescued me. He cleaned me up. He saved me. He sanctified. You should talk. But if it's all talk and no walk, we got a problem, right? And so James says, if your faith is all talk, it's dysfunctional. Look what he says here in chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Let's go back to the other. Thank you. They're trying to speed up the sermon. The media team's hungry for lunch right there. We jumped to point number three. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You see what James is doing? He's got this big superlative question, this interrogative. That's How, how could you even have that? How can you have faith without works? He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, all talk, go in peace, be warmed and filled without some walk, action, giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What is that saying? You remember our, our dear missionary and friend, Hold of Untamed, when her and Mark went to Calcutta uh, way back in the 50s. She's told this story to me in faith so many times. She said, we went, we began to preach the gospel, and the starving people of Calcutta, and some of you think you're starving because it's getting close to lunchtime. Americans don't know starvation like Calcutta, India. And the, the people from Calcutta begin to come up to Mark after his sermons and would say, Pastor, feed our bellies, and then we'll give you access to our souls. Or they say, we're starving. Listen, we can't even listen to you because we are starving. If you give us something to eat and show us Jesus loves us, then we'll listen to you. And they did that. And today, and because of some of you have action with your faith and support Calcutta Mercy Ministries, there are tens of thousands of children being fed today in the most impoverished places in the world. Can you say praise the Lord? Man, it's what happened here at our church many years ago, 16 years ago. Man, we want to tell Bartlesville that, that we love them. But, you know, they're not going to believe us unless we show them. So the Agape mission started off right here with God speaking to this church and to Sherry Smith, who was worshiping with us earlier, saying we're going to have to show Bartlesville that we love them before they're going to listen to us. And last year, over 40,000 meals were served. Somebody say, praise the Lord. i got some board members uh, over here with me. God is amazing. We've got to show people that we love them or our faith is dysfunctional. When's the last time you put some action to your faith? If we got out the spiritual stethoscope, can we find a pulse? Can we hear a pulse? Is it a regular heartbeat? Is it a healthy heartbeat? Is there some, some blockages somewhere that need to be clear? What is hindering your faith from having action? Listen, I'm talking to you. You're already here. You had some action to your faith. You got up. You said goodbye to Pastor Pillows and Sister Sheets, and you came right here to Spirit Church. I know how cozy that is on a Sunday morning that's kind of chilly, and you had some action to your faith. You were worshiping God. That's action to your faith. We have an offering bucket that'll pass. That's true action for your faith. That's letting the rubber meet the road on our faith, because if we're not full of action, then what has Jesus done for us anyway? Today's Pentecost Sunday, and you see the story of Simon Peter, who really couldn't have much action. He could say it, Jesus Christ, you are the Lord. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of God. 
And then a little girl says, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Nope, nope, not me. What's that? That's no works with your faith. That's just bowing to pressure. And I believe God has called us to have a strong faith in these last days, don't you? Not a dysfunctional faith. Let me tell you the second step. If your faith is all talk, then it's actually demonic. I want you to let that soak in. If your faith is just nothing but talk, it is demonic. I wouldn't be so bold as to come up with that title, but James did. Look what he says here in chapter 2. If you don't have works in your faith, he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He's talking about what we were mentioning just a few minutes ago. That I'm over here on the grace side. You're over here on the truth side. I'm over here on the healing side. You're over here on the suffering side. And Jesus encompasses all of this stuff. And so that's just nonsense, right? Look what he says, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. If you believe in God, look at me, man. I'm spiritual. I believe in God. I'm here at church. Listen, even the devil believes there's a God. He just doesn't put any actions in following God. He rebelled against God many, many eons ago. And now you're saying you got faith, so you're, you're equal with the devil? That's what James is saying. If there's no works, if there's no obedience, if you're just talking the talk, wearing the T-shirt but not living this, then your faith is really just demonic because the demons are even that good. I read a story where there was a little church out in the country, and they had prayed for a move of God, and God had showed up. And God was just moving and stirring, and people were coming to know Jesus Christ and being filled with the Spirit and reaching their city for Jesus. It was just an amazing day. And, and one Sunday, the devil was so up that the, so upset, the devil showed up right at the front at the altar, right in front of the pulpit. The devil showed up, and everybody, he was so ugly, so vulgar. There was such a stench that everybody just screamed and ran out of the church because the devil was so ugly and horrible, except for one man that sat right on the front row. He just stayed there. The devil was so happy that all these faith-filled people would just scattered just at his appearance. Then he looked at the man. He said, are you not afraid of me? The man said, I'm not afraid of you. The devil says, you should be afraid of me. The man said, I'm not. The devil says, why aren't you afraid of me? He said, 25 years ago, I married your sister, and I've stayed with her all this time. I'm not afraid of you either. I don't know if that's the answer for faith-filled Christians or not, right? <laughs> but if we just have faith, <laughs> careful with your amens, brothers, be careful. My marriage counseling sessions are all filled up for this week, so at least call Pastor Ike and Jordan. <laughs> but God wants us to have faith that's, that's more effective and healthy than the demons, right? Demons believe in Jesus. They knew that he was the Son of God, and yet we believe, and we say, look at us, we believe in God. What shows your healthy faith? Is your faith dysfunctional? Is it demonic? And then thirdly, if your faith is all talk, it is not dependable. If your faith is all talk, it's not dependable. This is easy to illustrate. Somebody says, yeah, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mow your lawn for the next six weeks, and they don't show up at all. Boy, they're not dependable, are they? If someone says they're going to do something at work to help you with your job and they never come through, they're not dependable. But how many dependable people do you know? And we should be more dependable in the things of God than anything else. So if your faith is all talk, it's not dependable. Look what James says here in chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham was a dependable man of God. And God says, why don't you sacrifice your son? And Abraham said, okay, 
Abram was willing to go out in a country he'd never seen before, just trusting in God. Faith without works is dead. He takes, Abram, he takes Isaac up on Mount Moriah, and he's getting ready to sacrifice him. And his faith is so strong that he says in Hebrews, it says that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, knowing that God would raise him from the dead. That if Abraham went through with it, if God had not stopped him, that God was going to raise Isaac from, the, Isaac from the dead because God said, in that son is my promise for you. And God had so touched Abraham that Abraham's faith was so strong that he was willing to act on faith even when it didn't make sense. We know the story. God stopped him and it was a symbol for what God the Father was going to do with his own son. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. If you want to step out in faith, you're going to have to have some action, faith in action. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Now that might get you excited because it does me. That God says, hey, you let me come. I'll be your father, but I'll even be your friend. I got some, some of my dearest friends in the whole world are a part of this church this morning. But I got some great friends, people that just come to bat for me. I don't deserve friends like I have. But God says, he'll be my friend. How many know that's a really good, good, good deal? God will be your friend. He's a friend of Abraham. Verse 24, some of you say, well, you don't know how wrecked my life is. Man, I'd love to have faith and action, but man, I've messed up too many times. I've, I've done stupid things. I've said I was a Christian, and, and then I did stupid things, and I let people down, so I'm just going to give up. Look where James goes next. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Don't you just love that Rahab keeps showing up in the Bible shows up here, and James shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, and, and Rahab, who we don't know her background, her story as a child, but probably like all other prostitutes, most other prostitutes, she's been abused, she's been battered, she's gone through, she's gone through Hades in her life, and so she's turned to the only thing that she knows how she can support herself and probably some of her kids is to that oldest profession known to man is prostitution. Can you imagine the shame that she had? Can you imagine the guilt complex that she had? Can you imagine the baggage that she had? And yet, when she has the opportunity to put faith in God, she has faith in action, and we're still talking about someone that had a messed up past that didn't let her past get in the way of God's future for her. Maybe you're the same way today. Boy, you got some baggage. You got some junk. You got some garbage even. But today, God says, why don't you give the garbage to me? Why don't you let your faith be more than just talk? Why don't you repent? Why don't you turn over to me? Why don't you let me lead your life and find the grace and the joy and the peace that only God has? Listen, if there's no works for your faith, you don't have a pulse. You don't have a spiritual pulse. Your faith's dysfunctional. It's even demonic. It's sure not dependable. And finally, James says, faith without works is dead. If your faith is all talk, it's dead. It's of no use to anybody. Look what James says here. Chapter 2, as the musicians come back. He says this at the end of the chapter. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. As a pastor, I'm honored to be at the bedside of people. The worst day of a family member's life, and they call, and mom's going to heaven, or aunt's going to heaven, and we get there as often as we can, and we pray. And if I didn't have any other reason to believe in God, just from my dozens and dozens of experiences, and, and surely our pastoral care a chaplain at the hospital is with me. She would attest to this, that being at the bedside of a follower of Jesus, 
I've seen people see angels. I've seen people see Jesus. I've seen people call out to Jesus. <laughs> it's an amazing deal. And as soon as the spirit leaves the body, then the body is dead. And here he says, as soon as works leave faith, you're dead. As soon as you just get into the coast mode of spirituality, it's over. As soon as you just get in the comfort zone, okay, I'm okay, everything's okay. Came to church once a year, got through that Easter thing, now I'm good. You think you're in dangerous ground. And God wants you to have this healthy, vibrant faith. Well, Pastor D, I'm going through a test, and I don't understand if God wants me to have a vibrant test, a vibrant faith, why would he give me this test? Uh, just the last couple of days, Faith and I have had a, a dear friends that they've had to take their little girl, baby girl, in for significant surgery. Even just as friends, boy, my heart just breaks, right? Some of you have had to do that. We've had to take our children in, and we hand them over to a doctor and a nurse and anesthesiologist. Boy, you, you know how, <laughs> if you've ever experienced that. And why would you trust a doctor and a nurse to take your baby back to cut on them? Because you know that what's on the other side of that surgery is in the best interest of that child. It's the only way I could ever let my kids, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody cutting on your throat, but I think you ought to have your tonsils out. And you know, it's that same heart that we have as earthly dads and moms that our Heavenly Father has. And if you're going through an extreme test, you know why He's letting you go through a spiritual surgery right now? It's because He knows what's on the other side. And he's not handing you over to another surgeon or anesthesiologist. He's the surgeon. God's the great physician. And he's not going to leave you alone through this test. I promise you, if you'll just put your faith in God and trust in God, he will be here for you. So, Pastor D, you're saying you want me to have faith like that George Mueller dude? I don't know if I can ever have faith like that. I tell you, he challenges me every time I read his biography challenges my soul. Do we really trust God? Or are we just talking the talk? Do we really believe in God? What has God called you to do? He's probably not called you to direct an orphanage. He's probably not called you to give up your salary for a year or years like George. He's probably not called you to, to establish an agape mission. That's already done. But he's calling you to something. And are you willing to step out? Are you willing to have healthy faith, to have faith that pleases God, all over this place, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. Jesus, we give you access to take your spiritual stethoscope and examine us today. Lord, I dread going to the doctor so much. Lord, sometimes we dread these moments so much. But Lord, may you examine us and may you speak to us today. And may you give us an urgency about these times in which we live in. Lord, there's all kinds of Christians that talk the talk, but Lord, in this day and age in America, there's very few that walk the walk. And God, I pray that you would give us healthy faith, that you would rise up a spirit of determination in us, Lord, that we would stand for you and on the word of God, that we would be God-pleasers and not people-pleasers, that however you're speaking to us, Lord, we would obey. Lord, we wouldn't worry about the thoughts of others. We would worry about the audience of one, and that is you. Lord, whatever's caused the hurt in our faith, past or hurts or burdens, Lord, things that people have said, God, today may you take those and erase them and set us on a 
journey of complete faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, as we pray today, if you're here and you want to join me, I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, I want a healthier faith than where I'm at.